you know, folks, I know the world feels so divided in particular, having gotten through this global pandemic, you know, people roll their eyes when I say this, but if you're an innovator, if you are an entrepreneur, there has never been a time in human history better to ply your trade than right now. Welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon, the investing show with a buzz. Sit back, relax, let's take the edge off, grab a nice glass of bourbon, and enjoy. Cheers from your host, James Vermillion. But first, let me kindly remind you, the information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. This is James Vermillion, host of Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon, the investing show with a buzz. I founded Vermillion Private Wealth, a fee-only investment management and financial planning firm, and started this podcast to talk about innovation and wealth beyond just dollars and cents. And on this episode, we're talking about two things I get really excited about, bourbon and green energy. If you don't know much about solar energy, prepare to get schooled. Our guest, Adam Edelin, is a man on a mission. He previously served as chief of staff to Governor Steve Bashir here in Kentucky, as well as state auditor. In 2019, he ran for governor of Kentucky in the Democratic primary, and he's the founder of Edelin Renewables, which develops utility-scale solar projects in forgotten places like Appalachia. He has been named the Outstanding Young Kentuckian and one of the 10 Outstanding Young Americans by the United States Junior Chamber of Commerce an honor previously bestowed upon Presidents Kennedy, Ford, Nixon, and Clinton. More recently, he's been honored by the Aspen Institute, the German Marshall Fund, and the Kentucky Rural Health Association. While we sip on a very mysterious bourbon, we also get pumped up over the future of energy here in America and the world. So pour yourself a nice, stiff drink, sit back, and enjoy. Adam Edelin, welcome to the show, sir. It's good to be with you, James. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, this is Bulls, Bears, and Bourbon. I love it. Um, so we're going to talk green energy, sustainable energy, and solar, um, and so forth. But we're going to drink first. So we've got a really mysterious bourbon that we're going to be tasting today. It's uh, an interesting one. It's highly sought after, relatively expensive, one of those ones that nobody seems to know anything about. Right. So um, it is the old, very old St. Nick Estate Reserve bourbon. Lot number four. So this is an eight-year-old bourbon at 110 proof. So let's just give her a little whirl here. Let me know your initial thoughts there on the nose, the palate, whatever you whatever you think. You know, James, that is oaky, as you predicted before we got on the show. I it can is. taste the oak. It. Um, I like. I like a good burn in a bourbon, and this one certainly delivers. Yeah, it's interesting. It's got kind of an astringent oak to it too. It's there's definitely some bitterness there. I get some nuttiness as well. Not a lot of fruit, um, maybe a little dark fruit there uh, on the end, but I wouldn't call it too complex. Not a whole lot going on, but, but good. But good. It's solid. Absolutely. It leaves a mark. And that's what I want from bourbon. You <laughs> know, when, when people say, oh, I really like a smooth bourbon, not me. I want to know I drank it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, smooth. Is that the number one phrase used to describe bourbon? By people who don't know what they're talking it's about. It's got to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Every bourbon, if you give anyone a bourbon, it's smooth. Oh, it's smooth. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, that's not really a complex note in bourbon as I've grown <laughs> no. up drinking it. I like I like a little good burn. I like to be able to taste you know, what produced it. It's Definitely. smooth. You know, it's the reason I'm not a scotch drinker. One, that stuff tastes like moss to me. Uh, I like bourbon. And uh, th- listen, this is no disappointment. I've never heard of it before, but it smells, you can you can smell oakier hints and you can taste them too. Well, I'm hoping one of the bourbon folks that listen in will, will email me or call in and let me know the backstory on this thing, because I've read a lot of different things. There's, there's like the rumor mill with this right, thing. Right. Um, some people are saying it's from uh, the Stitzel Weller. I don't think that's possible. Um, and every mystery bourbon, everyone says that. Yeah. Um, so I kind of doubt that's true. But uh, hey, you never know. There's an interesting time in bourbon, and it's also an interesting time in our next subject. And the reason I brought you here is to talk about sustainable energy. So as we're uh, familiarizing ourselves with the very old St. Nick, why don't you just provide a really brief 
background on what you're doing in sustainable energy and solar and uh, kind of what your vision is there. Yeah, sure, James. Now, again, I appreciate the opportunity. And this is really timely because for someone who works in the financial advisory business like you do, this is one of those really special and unique moments where the confluence of uh, major technological change, major economic change are occurring all in the energy sector. And so what's happening is, um, and the irony is that after President Trump took us out of the Paris Accords, and you've had four years where the United States hasn't been a leader in climate change. Um, what's remarkable is the resiliency of the green energy economy, and it's largely being driven by two forces. The first are Fortune 500 companies from Facebook and Google and Amazon and Apple and Toyota and Anheuser-Busch to Walmart. The near, the near entirety of the Fortune 500 have very public investor-driven sustainability goals. And so right. their behavior in that space to meet being 100%, uh, you know, being carbon neutral by 2025 or 30 or 35 is really driving the marketplace. Uh, the other is your generation. And it is millennials absolutely believe in climate change and believe that there ought to be a role in society in addressing it. And that manifests itself in things like, uh you know, the way the market behaves, uh, it manifests itself in the way the, the governments are approaching this. You know, the, the under 40s are the first generation raised on reduce, reuse and recycle. And it's not political. I mean, right. It's now not for that generation. Sure. And so you've got as many Republican kids, uh, you know, young professionals in their 30s who believe in climate change as do young Democrats. And this is one of the interesting places where our politics are way behind where the people are. And you, you look at <laughs> one it, of many. Maybe. Yeah, man. Well, I think one of many, but this is the most pronounced. Sure. So I'm a developer of utility scale solar projects. Uh, we have a, we now have a pipeline of 15 projects in seven States. What we're best known is for the work we're doing in Appalachia mm -hmm. to repurpose um, reclaimed mine sites. That is mountaintop removal coal mine sites and to reimagine them as uh, large-scale solar installations. And we've got about half of our pipeline are in those projects. You know, it reflects almost a $2 billion capital investment. And we're trying to do big, bold, innovative things. We're trying to bring the promise of renewable energy to the forgotten places of America. And sure. there's no better place to do that than in coal country. But if we just take a step back and look at this at the macro level, whether you're one of your clients looking for a place to invest, whether you're a public policy leader looking to try to understand the way the economy and technology are shifting, renewable energy is here to stay. It is, and it is the biggest economic and tra technical transformation since the internet, and it will impact our lives in ways large and small for, for generations to come. And I look forward to drilling down into that with you. Yeah, well, I think that's great. And you touched on something that I thought was really interesting, and it's something I actually wrote an article about, and I've talked about uh, really ad nauseum, and, and that is corporate America's response. Because I think if you go back in time, you, you maybe would have predicted a corporate um, resistance that they don't want to make these changes. They don't want to uh, spend the capital needed to kind of transi transition into some of those green energy areas. But it's been really, really cool and really interesting. And I think it really bodes well for the future to see corporate leaders really stepping up to bat and saying, hey, let's get out in front of this and do our part. And, and that's really important, I that, think. That's exactly right. And you you have, you, and you got to send me that article, right? Yeah, sure absolutely. So I can have a look at it. Uh, but to confirm what you're thinking is absolutely where we are. I mean, what, what's happening in the adoption of green energy in the United States and beyond hasn't been driven by government. It is not a government force. This is a market force. And the ESG commitments that publicly traded corporations have adopted lead with the environment. And so when you see Facebook or Google or Toyota or Chevrolet or Anheuser-Busch or Walmart or whomever on television telling you that they'll be carbon neutral by 2025 or 2030 or beyond, the vehicle by which they're accomplishing that goal is that they buy the power generated at solar sites like the ones I'm developing. And so this is incredible and it's not going to stop. A matter of fact, it's going to, it's going to hasten. And, you know, I'm, th this is not as a partisan, this is an, an analysis. We've had more coal burning uh, plants close under four years of Donald Trump than we had under eight years of, uh, of, of uh, Barack Obama. The reality, James, is that the private sector has voted this game is over. And I would point out to you that it's a really unique time where the vast majority of my partners uh, in our Appalachian projects are coal land companies who understand that I offer a path to monetize a stranded asset and create a lot of jobs for local folks 
and try to and, and try to uh, re-empower coal communities. Because listen, all of us uh, owe something to the people who literally empowered the industrial development in this country for a hundred years. I agree. And so we can either just, you know, we've offered coal miners rhetoric and we've watched their communities disappear and their jobs disappear. We can either continue that approach or we can harness this brand new, incredibly increasing sector of our economy for their benefit. And it's just that simple. Well, you actually answered partially my next question. I was going to ask you about working with some of those coal, coal companies. Because oftentimes, and, and you know, rightly so in a certain way, those are those are two opposite sides of the of the battlefield there. So tell me a little bit about what was that like going to those coal companies and those leaders and saying, hey, here's who I am, here's what we're doing, and here's why you can be a part of this and why you should be well, a part Well, of James, it. I think it helped that I was a statewide politician, um, you know, had served a couple of governors, was chief of staff to one, had been elected statewide on my own. I had I have traditionally been a supporter of the coal industry in Kentucky mm-hmm. and had a lot of personal relationships with coal operators. And what you began to learn after the first or second bourbon was that they knew <laughs> the they knew the industry wasn't coming back. And so right. what's it's about envisioning what the future looks like. And I know you're uh, a, a great lover of Kentucky as am I. We have gotten this right in the past. And that's what's so frustrating to me, right? You know, I grew up on a tobacco farm. Mm-hmm. My family grew tobacco in Meade County for a century and a half. And I hated every minute of it. It's the worst work I've ever done, but it taught me not to be afraid of hard work. But, you know, when that time was up, we had political leaders in a bipartisan way uh, negotiating with the t- tobacco companies. And we had the thing called the Master Settlement Agreement and tobacco farm families like mine were paid to diversify. Mm -hmm. And now 25 years later, my father and the farm economy in Kentucky are demonstrably better off than they were when we were tobacco dependent. That's an example of us seeing a market transition, envisioning a future, and then building to it, right? We did it brilliantly. Mitch McConnell, Wendell Ford, Paul Patton, Jim Hunt from North Carolina, really smart people saw the end of the game and planned for it. And now our people are better off. We didn't do any of that in the coal industry. Right. And so now these communities are decimated as a result, which is fundamentally a failure of leadership. And so when you can go to a coal company who have tremendous land holdings, and almost all of them do, James, there's not much to repurpose these sites with. I mean, they are they're they're very tough to build on. The geotechnical challenges preclude uh, anything heavier than light industry. Um, and, and, you know, there's only so many elk viewing stations or gun range or places to camp out that you can put, but these things can work really well, uh, for solar in particular. And it, it, it's been an engineering challenge. We can get into that as much as you want. I feel like I've gotten a PhD in this over the last four or five years. They call it the solar coaster for a reason, (laughs) but we can create a place in the communities that literally powered the industrial development of America for a hundred years, we can make them relevant for the next hundred years. We just got to do it differently. And coal companies are capitalists. I mean, these are run by people who want to make money. And when we say, well, listen, you've got, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of acres, you know, uh, work with me on a, on a thousand to 2000 acre plot. And we're going to get you a very handsome annual lease payment that will pay you for 40 or 50 years. These folks jump at that. Well, that's great to hear that that they're at least open. And you're right; it, it, it as a capitalist business, mm-hmm. so um, you know the bottom do- the, you know the bottom line matters. It does matter. Um, so it- when you can provide a lifeline that you know not only makes financial sense, then then you're winning. You are getting the job that's, done. That's right, James. But it's about aligning. And I know this has become a skill set that's so badly out of fashion right now. But I think it's what we need in this state and this country is being able to to structure. Uh, you know, double and triple bottom line returns for all the parties involved. And that's what we're able to de- deal here. And I will tell you one thing that's been interesting to me, it's just, it's been sometimes as difficult to get the environmental advocates to partner with the coal communities to do these big, important things. So listen, there, there are, you know, there are no virgins in this business. Everybody's right. got an ideological approach. But the fact is we can leverage the fight against climate change to reinvigorate uh, communities that powered the old economy. And I think we've got a moral obligation to do it and people need to get over themselves. And I've been really excited about the number of folks working together to do this. I will tell you that you can, as you can imagine, keeping renewable energy developers and advocates and coal executives on the same page through the um, first through the, the Trump Clinton election. And then again, through the Trump Biden election was not the easiest work I've ever done, 
But blessed are the peacemakers, as we're told in the Beatitudes. <laughs> well, it might end up being at the, at the end of your business career, it might end up being the most difficult thing you ever had to there, do. There's no doubt. And, you know, listen, I was chief of staff during the Great Recession. You know, we we're trying to figure out how to keep from laying off 15,000 school teachers. I was the auditor who uncovered, you know, the rape kit scandal. Right. This has been really hard. This has tested my skills of diplomacy far beyond uh, anything I ever, I ever thought I would pursue. But listen, it's a monument, right? Like I think all of us, whether you're a libertarian or progressive or, you know, a hardcore conservative or, you know, an extreme liberal, what we all have in common is that we're trying to build legacy, right? We want to leave evidence that we were here. And, you know, man, these projects will be visible from space and they're living, breathing monuments to the the ability of people to work together over their divisions to do big, important things. And, And I'm excited about having a part in that. Well, I'm excited just hearing about it. And I, I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about solar and where we're at kind of in solar uh, production in this country and where we might be going. So correct these numbers if sure. I'm off base here. But, you know, solar new electric capacity to the grid is now making up over 40%. So for, for every new piece of energy consumption or production we're adding to the grid, solar is about 40 plus percent of that. Maybe you can No, that's exactly that right. Now I want you to think about that. That is new energy that is going onto the grid. Of that portfolio, 40% is from solar. And man, that is so far beyond even the most Birkenstock wearing, you know, MIT PhD expert in the energy <laughs> space. Nobody saw this even 5 years ago, right? And, right. and so what we knew was that there was a sufficient resource, James, um, that, that there's plenty of sunshine. The panel technology improves by double-digit efficiency every other year. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a technology. Think if your computer right. improves by improved by de- double-digit technology every couple of years. And what that has conspired to create is that literally every place in the United States now works for solar. There are solar farms in right. Maine. There are about to be many in Appalachian, Kentucky, and beyond. It works everywhere. And so the technology has is afforded us a chance to get here. But man, nobody estimated that the demand would be like this. You've got its consumer behavior. I mean, if you are, listen, everybody knows I'm a Democrat. Let me say this for the record. I am also a capitalist. Right. right. And I believe in conscious capitalism. Hell yes. I mean, it's it's lifted more people out of poverty than any other system in the history of the world. It it needs to be managed correctly. I, I think we all believe in conscious capitalism. But you have young people who aren't going to buy a vehicle or a chicken sandwich from a company that hasn't made a sustainability commitment. Absolutely. You know, Toyota, think about this. The Camry is the number one selling sedan in the world. Everybody knows that. In 2025, you're not going to be able to get one that isn't either an EV or a hybrid. Yeah. Toyota is really smart. These are the smartest engineers and market analysts in the world. They know how this is going. Everybody else is doing that. You saw General Motors say, we'll be out of the internal bus- and combustion energy market by 2035 or 2040. This is crazy, right? I mean, it, it's crazy how quickly this is developing because nobody saw it coming. This is a market force and it's irresistible. The escape velocity has been, uh, we're, we're past it. James, I'm so stealing that. Escape we're, we're, velocity, we're not, brother. We're not slowing down. We're, nope. we're picking up steam. Uh, everyone who knows me, yeah, I'm kind of like what they say about like vegans. How do you know someone's vegan? They'll tell you. Well, I'm that way with Tesla. So it, I, everyone who knows me knows I drive a Tesla. It's not because I brag about it. It's because I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah, man. And you're an evangelist, uh, right? You've become an evangelist for it. And what's exactly. it, when you think about Tesla, you know, Tesla is the most valuable, um, the most valuable automotive manufacturer on the planet, despite the fact they make what, four or 500,000 cars? Yeah, a about 500,000. Yeah. Toyota and GM make 13 million. Yeah. And, it, and it's not because of where the market is, it's where people perceive it's going to be. And I know this is mind blowing to a lot of folks. But for those of you listening to James' podcast, listen to me. There are so many of you, of us, who will be driving electric vehicles in the fi- in next five years who have no idea, can't even contemplate it right now. And what's extraordinary about the Tesla technology is that they're the first to understand that not only are these cars going to be electric powered, they're going to be electric generators. There will be a time in our lives where the cars that we drive put power back on the grid. Get ready for that. Yeah, there's there's so much like it's we could awesome. just get into oh, because man, there's, there's so much in the space. But honestly, Tesla is what opened my eyes to green energy in general, because I could get excited about it before. It was kind of like boring. You know, I was like, sure. Oh, I know it's going to happen. That's fine. Sure. That's great. I'm for it. I'm not one of these guys who like doesn't recycle just to like spite the system, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, I'm really showing somebody. Yeah, that's so, right. you know, 
but I, I really do get excited and I think you're absolutely right. People are going to be driving electric cars who hardly could tell you what an electric vehicle is right now. That's and, right. and it's coming quickly. So, so that's great. And then back to the grid, here's what's still really interesting. Even, even with that 40% of new capacity that's coming on being solar, total electrical generation from solar was 0.1% in 2010 yeah, and is now th- over 3%. It may be even four or so it now. Is. It's about four now. So it, that doesn't seem like a whole lot. Oh, it's coming. That's, you know, that's a little over a decade and that's 30 times. Yeah. So if, if, so if, if, if when you sat down with your clients and, and you said, I think I can deliver over 10 years, I'm going to give you 30 X. Do they take it? Uh, if, if I, if I could do that, I wouldn't have any clients. <laughs> yeah. I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere <laughs> sipping on some bourbon. And, and, and that's just gonna, that's just gonna increase. Um, I think one of the, the core elements, um, the bipartisan agreement is we're going to get an infrastructure bill this year. Uh-huh. And I think one of the core elements of the infrastructure bill is grid modernization, because we have an absolute total disaster of a, of a national grid. I mean, this thing sort of grew up organically since the days of Edison and, and Tesla competing and it's a disaster. And, and if I can make one book recommendation, I promise yeah, you I don't do. have a, there, nah. there's a great book. I think Bill Gates called it the most important book of like 2018 it's called The Grid by Gretchen Backey. And Gretchen, okay. Gretchen is a Canadian academic. I think she's a, a professor at, at McGill or something like that. And she wrote this book, and it's a history of the grid, tracing it back to the competition between Edison and Tesla uh, to today's point where, you know, you may remember, you know, a decade ago, a squirrel in Akron, Ohio, brought down the grid for two-thirds of the eastern United States and then paints a picture of what it's going to look like in the future, right? The way we will totally be integrated into the grid from the way our cars are powered to the power they put back on, the way our appliances choose to use and communicate with the grid. It's going to be extraordinary. But this book in 250, 300 pages, it's really easy to read. I know it sounds boring, but I always tell people it's my most recommended book. If folks will if folks will listen to or read it, and they don't like it, they can send it to me and I'll buy it back from them. It's terrific. But well, you can't understand where the new economy is going without having a grasp of the principles in this book. Well, that's really interesting. I'm a little bit ignorant on the actual grid, where our grid technology is today. Adam, what do you think needs to happen? Like, What are some basic points that would need to be in an infrastructure bill like that that need to be addressed so for us to move forward? We, we Grid modernization means we've got to take down these old lines that that had, that were created in a response to an industrial economy and understand that we need to be able to produce large sums of power and ship it across the country. You know, a big part of the problem down in Texas was that not, wasn't just that everything froze. Certainly everything, it is true. The turbines froze. It is true. The gas lines froze. It's also true that there are thousands of miles of gas lines that run through Siberia that never freeze and that there are you know, thousands of turbines in Scandinavian countries that never freeze. One of the real issues there is that Texas has its own grid, the ERCOT, and it's separated from the rest of the country. And when your system is islanded like that, you can't borrow power from other grids around the country to keep that going. That right. was a total failure of leadership. And so understanding building a 21st century grid that understands it's not just going to be coal and oil, uh, and gas uh, powering our grid, you know, we've just got an industrial age uh, system. And by modernizing it, you know, it feels like we'll not see it, but man, we can create tons of jobs. And I think the one thing that libertarians like you and people maybe are more progressive like me agree on is that if government is going to spend money, infrastructure is the best place to do it because we get such a great return on it. And uh, the grid is a key element of that. Yeah. You, you're reading my mind a little bit. I was going to ask you We're about Simpatico, what man. in Texas yeah. because I was my goodness, you talk about politicizing something and, that and happened. We, it was and, really sad. And like, that's one of the things I really like about you, James, is that, you know, of course you're conservative, right? And, and you know, but you're, but the people who make this thing go, the economy or the country or our city go, are people who are just fundamentally problem solvers. Right. And for everybody to look at this disaster in Texas where people died, I mean, there were, there was, you know, what, a, a six-year-old froze to death in his bed. No, it was just ugly. It, it's it was, terrible. It was but bad. to look at this through an ideological prism and for the fossil fuel industry to say, well, it was because of the unreliability of of, of renewables and for renewable advocates to, for this to, when kids are dying, and we make it about ideology that drive, I'm out. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here for that. And I know you aren't either. What happened in Texas was they have their own energy market and they failed to update it. Yeah. And, you know, gas oil, you know, oil heads and, and gas line heads froze, as did the turbines, because nobody thought to have them winterized, despite the fact this happened in 2011. 
Right. And it, it's awful. It's a failure of imagination, a failure of leadership. Well, it is. And hopefully this is something that doesn't happen again because, you know, I like to think we learn from things, but then things happen and you go, well, we did it again. So, um, James, this, who knows? is this bourbon growing on you? It actually is. It's that, man, it is. It's a lot of oak it's there. Stout, but it, it's opening up a little and it's, um, Folks, you need to, I would try this very old St. Nick estate reserve. It is powerful. I would let it breathe for what? 15 minutes. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And it, and it, it definitely has a, um, it's got that oakiness, but it's, you're right. It's got that viscosity that you can kind of feel going down. Yeah. And I like County, buddy, they call it good burn. There you this go. Urban definitely has some good burn. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as smooth. No, I'm with you. Let's, um, let's keep going on solar because I'm, I'm I feel like we're starting to get into the yeah, group here and figure absolutely. some things out. Um, one of the things people talk about with solar is costs all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of rights law. It's something that I use when I'm kind of looking at investment options and saying, hey, here's a technology. What's the scaling of that technology going to do? Famously, Moore's law was used for computer chips to basically predict the cost, the declining cost um, of computer chips over time. Rights law is very similar um, but I use it a little bit more broadly um, in any type of technology, trying to figure out what the scale do for this technology as far as making it cheaper and more accessible. So um, solar panels are a really good spot to kind of look at that. Solar panels have become significantly cheaper That's than right. they used to be. But there are still some other barriers, I think, that are out there that people forget about. Soft costs, things like labor supply chain stuff, administrative, some of those things. Distribution and logistics. How does that stuff factor in? Where do you think we are there? It does factor in. And I want to make a a point, you know, you and I get along well, and I think we like the way each other's brains work. There's also a national security component here. Definitely. And if if folks will just visualize with me for a moment and think about the economy we've had in the last hundred years, crude oil um, was the, was a primary driver in it. And we went, we've gone to wars over it. We OPEC brought us to our knees in the seventies. It's just that it was just that critical of a commodity. Solar panels are the crude oil of the 21st century. And this is where everything you brought up, labor, sunk cost, um, uh, the, the research, the tech, um, the proprietary work that permitting. goes into this permitting, all of it, all of it impacts, but folks, we have allowed, the Chinese, and you can call them, if you don't want to call them our strategic enemy, then I think we can we can all agree that China is our strategic, our most strategic competitor. Yeah. And we've allowed 70% of the supply chain to be domiciled in China for the energy delivery device of the 21st century. This is a big damn deal. Yeah, and, and we have got to insist on diversifying that network. The problem for domestic manufacturers in the United States for panels is that labor costs are expensive. Um, the rare earth elements that go in to getting this, China can China dominates eighty percent of rare, rare earth elements, folks. These are the, you know, the 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 particulates in the in the metallic material that's gathered from places like Central Africa, right? That that is necessary to build this kind of technology. It's not just solar panels and semiconductors. Yeah, yeah, chips for sure. China, China controls eighty percent of that as well. That is a huge challenge for us, and it's in, it's an insult, James, because in the '60s we are literally the country that invented solar technology. We just gave it away because we were too ahead of the curve. So those things that you've described do impact price, and we've got to figure out, particularly amongst um, uh, countries that we're affiliated with as allies you know, who can help us solve this problem. Morocco, first country in the world, by the way, to in, to recognize American independence when we separated from Britain. That's a, that's a fact. It's a great fact. Love that. Yeah. And you'll, you'll win every bar bet. It's a great, it's the best bar bet of all time. But anyway, the, the Moroccans are becoming a center for uh, solar panel production. That's okay, really good news for us. But that's great. we do have to get those costs down. But as the industry scales, the price of, of solar will become cheaper and cheaper. We're already seeing coal is cheaper, or excuse me, solar cheaper than coal. Uh, and I believe that, you know, it might be late in our lifetime, but eventually solar will do to gas what gas did to coal. Yeah. Well, I hope so, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Um, and I want to talk about a little bit different area of solar. Most people, when they hear about solar technology or, you know, solar panels or things like that, they're really only thinking solar panels on the roof of a business or solar panels on the roof of your home. This is, there's a community aspect here and you alluded to it um, a little bit earlier, but 
you know, there are communities out there that have a local or regional kind of solar field where they're, they're generating energy there. And then community members can actually buy shares or however, you know, they're, right. they're done differently. I think talk a little bit about that. So that, I think that's a part people don't really don't, know exists. And they don't. And so most utilities now are offering community solar programs where people can uh, agree to enter this program. You pay a slightly higher rate. And I can tell you that I have very strong opinions about what the utilities are doing here, but you can charge a stronger, a higher rate and be able to use renewable energy to power your home enough that you've put onto the grid that you can offset whatever it is that you use. And the pro the project, uh, the nine or 10 megawatt project that Kentucky or excuse me, East Kentucky power has got in, uh, on the way to Winchester from Lexington is an example of that. Um, what we do is utility scale solar, where we sell the power generated to very large companies who are trying to hit their sustainability goal. Sure. And what's remarkable about that project, uh, those projects, James, is that they're huge. I mean, like our Martin County project will be, you know, a 200 megawatt project on 200,000 acres. Uh, we think about 750,000 solar panels put there by what we hope will be about 300 out of work coal miners or people who have been displaced by the disappearance of the coal economy who will leave with an academic certification as a solar installer, no cost to them. Very cool. And so that is about magnifying social and economic impact in these communities. And it is especially what my, it's what my firm specializes in. We've literally trademarked the phrase social impact solar because it's who we are and it's what we're about. And we turned down projects, frankly, when we couldn't afford to because they weren't social impact in nature. So now we work on projects that, uh, have a guaranteed significant impact in these communities. And you think about what's happened in Martin County, James, this is literally like four or five miles from where Lyndon Johnson launched the war on poverty, right? Right, right. And uh, while it kept people from starving, we still have 30% poverty in these communities. We have to try to do something different and leveraging a quarter of a billion dollar capital investment to have to maximize that impact in the community is an awesome thing to be part of. And I think what we're going to have after this is proof of concept that you can transform communities using the energy of the future, provided you use the people who live there to put them in place. What's really cool about that, Adam, is you're not only repurposing the land, you're repurposing the worker. And when you can get buy-in from communities and show them that, hey, you, you know, you're not just stranded here. We didn't forget about you. And by the way, you don't have to pack up your stuff and leave to go find opportunities. There's something you can do right here in your community. That's a win. And that that's going to get people to uh, support green energy faster, frankly, than anything I can think yeah, of. Yeah. What, what I think a lot of the green energy advocates don't understand is that you're not going to hasten its adoption by lecturing people. We need to reimagine these projects so people can see themselves in the future that you're describing, which is a lesson I learned from the governor's race. I mean, it it's hard for people who are struggling with economic uncertainty to envision themselves having a place in the future. And you just can't talk about it. You got to do it. Sure. And so I think that's a key reason why these projects that we're involved with in, in places like Pennsylvania, Appalachian, Ohio, Eastern Kentucky, Southwestern Virginia, um, soon West Virginia are so critically important because not only does it represent hope, but it represents sort of the physical manifestation of people getting on the same page and accomplishing a big thing and creating a pathway of opportunity into the digital economy. And that, that's really what this is about. And I think when it works, people will be more likely to believe it can. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes you, ha you have to make it happen. People, you can preach, you can tell, you can show projections and estimates and forecasts and all these things. But until some people see it happen, um, they're, they're just not going to get on board with this. So I think that's really important that you know, you can't wait. So, someone's got to go first. Somebody's and being first, first is always difficult, as sure you is. well know. Oh, I've got the scars to prove it. Um, but, but you know, um, we talked to uh, Sonnet Bernecker-Hart. Uh, she's founded Cobalt Distillery. And she was, this. you know, this is a totally different thing, but I think it still rings true. She helped usher in an era of new laws in Chicago and in Illinois for craft distilleries because you know, they were still prohibition era laws in place, which are just done. And it was right? painful. Yeah. I mean, she did all that work and, 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 and I mean, did it by herself. She didn't have the money at the time and, and the resources. To hire lobbyists and lawyers. Yeah, that's she right. She did it. She, she learned what she had to do. And she's a very smart lady. So um, that wasn't too much of an issue for her. But, you know, anytime you go through blazing that trail, it's tough and, it, and, and you're going to face resistance and you're going to have some challenges and all those things. But when that happens and when that trail is there and people can see, okay, this is actually going to work, then you, you're on to something. And that that's when that momentum really picks up. It goes from being something where people are like sitting back, kind of watching like, 
Let's see if Adam fails. Yeah, uh, for sure. There and are then a lot I say, of people. He's not failing. Maybe we need to get involved. Yeah. In and James, I've, I'm, listen, I'm one of these people who's failed more in life than I've succeeded, right? But I'm grateful for those lessons. And our, our first project, we tried to move along in, in Pike County. It's been delayed. Um, it's by no means shelved, but but we learned that you got to have reclamation done before you start on these projects. And that's the process the coal companies go through after mining to uh, to uh, uh, restore the site. And so we, we learn from things that we try. And, you know, one of the things I love, frankly, about capitalism is we do reward failure, right? Sure. I mean, it, it's the, I've learned a lot more from my losses than I have my victories. And, 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 it's, um, and I wouldn't trade any of those. Well, I don't know anybody who's too successful that hasn't faced some setbacks oh, and some sure. failures um, because sure. that's, it's just it's not going to happen. Um, there, there are too many challenges in starting your own business or starting a new technology. Um, but it is. If you learn from those things, that's how you move forward. And uh, I want to talk, where does batteries, where do they play in here? So the batteries are the holy grail, right? And so uh, for your listeners, um, uh, renewable energy provides power when you need it, right? You panels right. provide power during the day. Um, the wind turbines do a good job of, power, of, of providing power at night, but they can't be, you can't, you can, the technology doesn't yet afford the wholesale storage right. of the power generated. And Folks, this is a big deal because eventually we will perfect the battery technology. Every big country, every big company in the world is investing billions to be the first to uh, perfect the battery technology because it's the holy grail. And what that will do is it will democratize power production. It means you won't have to pay a utility bill. It means you'll be able to store the power that you produce and use it when you need it. Um, we will see that in our lifetime. But that's that is this generation's equivalent of the moonshot. Um, this is a really big deal. It's on par with some of the advances you've seen with with in biotech for um, you know uh, treating cancer. Sure. So this is a huge deal, but it will happen. Uh, and I just hope it's an, uh, you know, my hope is it's either the American government or a Western company that comes up with it because it's it's going to shift global power in a significant way. I'm not kidding. It's and I'm not, you know, I want this to be very organic discussion. So I, I write out some notes just so I have some. Don't so you and I are simpatico, huh? You, I mean, it's like I gave you a copy yeah. in advance. Which I was going to promise you, you he didn't. I was yeah. going to ask you about social impact solar because yeah. I saw where you trademarked that. Want to get did. your thoughts on that? So I thought that was really cool. You mentioned that. We'll come back to it. And then I, I was actually going to talk about some other innovations that I think genomic sequencing and gene therapeutics for solving cancer was on my list here. So it's a crazy, like, a I mean, no, this is what, you know, folks, I know the world feels so divided in particular, having gotten through this global pandemic, you know, people roll their eyes when I say this, but if you're an innovator, if you are an entrepreneur, there has never been a time in human history better to ply your trade than right now. I mean, we, we, we've got all in our lifetime, we're going to see um, recreational travel to space. Yeah. We're going to see um, uh, the, the therapeutics the, the, that are coming from our, um, the bio. Um, well, I got, the, I, um, yeah, I call it gene, gene yeah, therapy. The gene therapy Genomics. where you're trading, you're training the body to fight cancers and it's yeah. already working abundantly well. I mean, this is happening. Right? Oh yeah. We're going to see many cancers cured in Absolutely. our lifetime and no, the way, no and the way we power our lives is fundamentally changing and maybe the greatest energy shift since coal was discovered in, in England in like the late 16, early 1700s. This is all happening. And it's, it's, and what's great about this is it's happening in spite of everything else, right? I mean, I love the word resiliency. My friend, Jonathan Webb, who founded uh, App Harvest yeah. talks about resiliency. It's his word, but it, it's, it's the, you know, they, they built, like the ninth largest building in Moorhead, Kentucky in the middle of a global pandemic. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, th th there's so many neat things going on and, and this is just a great time to be on the side of the innovators. What innovation really does, it allows you to look forward. And so often we're stuck looking at, at the now or even worse, we're stuck looking back at the past and trying to nitpick everything that happens. But what I think about innovation, just at its most basic core is it solves problems. Mm -hmm. It solves human problems. That's exactly That's right. That's what it's done throughout human history. When you talk about going all the way back to when uh, someone someone invented the wheel um, and, and all the things that led to, to, to internet, um, robotics, AI, screen yeah, energy, all these things. It's so exciting. It is so exciting. You got to realize and, that. And we do, and, it, and this is one thing that drives me nuts, is like the hot, as, we, as we're recording today, the biggest story in the world is the royal family feud, yeah, right? Right. <laughs> 
And it drives me crazy because folks, we just dropped a rover on Mars. Right. That has the ability to drill into the ground and take pictures and take audio and look for, you know, look for uh, previous life. I mean, this is, we ought to be celebrating this. That ought to be the biggest story in the world. And it's not regrettably. And, you know, that's why outlet, that's why you're doing a real public service here, man. We, you know, the people who are more interested in the future than whether the, you know, some king of something is speaking to the, you know, the prince of something. Yeah. This is where the action is, man. And it, it will have a far greater impact on the history of the world. And I'm glad that's real reason why I'm happy to be with you today. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I get really excited too. Some of this, I mean, this stuff isn't happening all out in California or, or in, in Austin, Texas, or in these kind of tech hubs. This stuff's happening here. I mean, App Harvest, what Jonathan did and in, in going public recently with the SPAC route and stuff, which that could be a whole different discussion. Yeah, we can talk about it. Listen, I am... I, I think they're the right kind of a company to use SPAC. I can talk about a hundred others that I don't. Oh yeah. It's, it's the wild west it in, is the in wild a lot west. of ways. And, and I, my hunch is something's going to slow that down a little bit. I don't know when, but. Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago. The only place you could do a SPAC deal was Canada. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So and, and teaching they, me things. Yeah. They've been doing SPAC deals in Canada on their markets for a long time because they didn't meet, you know, the credibility threshold here right. in, the, in, on our markets. But, um, you know, but the problem with the whole SPAC thing is for every app harvest, there are a hundred companies you've never heard of. That's exactly right. And are doing anything. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I actually had someone joke with me the other day and say, hey, when are you starting a SPAC? Oh, well, you know, we ought to. I was yeah. like, uh, I need a, an idea that I don't actually have to deliver on first. Yeah, you so. could, maybe you could take Edlin Renewables public. There you go. But, it, you know, it is an interesting, and, I, and I'm not knocking the SPAC route. I think you're right. There, there are certainly companies. Um, it's a way of doing things. It's a little different than the, the traditional IPO route. Certainly not bad. It's right. just different, and and um, but there there is uh, there's some stuff out there that makes you kind of well. Look, there's look a difference at between go, you huh? know App Harvest, which was you know a Steve Case rise of the rest, you know poster child, right, and a, a first class board that includes Martha Stewart and the former you know CFO of Impossible Foods and a great charismatic you know guy in the form of Jonathan Webb. Right. There's a difference between that company. And, you know, the penny stock we've never heard no of doubt all of a sudden's worth, you know, 500 million bucks. That's right. a problem. No, it is. It is a problem. And uh, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. We've got a little bit of time left. I want to ask you about um, wealth to you. I mean, you, you're a guy, you've been in the public sector, you've been in the private sector, you're a family man. What does wealth mean to you? I mean, because ultimately all these things you're doing, whether it is in the public or private sector, you're doing them for a reason. I'm sure that's that's more than to make a buck because you can have is, done a James, lot of different things. That's right, James. I've never been money motivated. I, um, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. My mother was 16 when she had me. Um, you know, dad's a farmer. They sacrificed a lot to make sure that I had incredible opportunities. So I've never been money motivated. But what wealth is to me is freedom, because I remember not having it. And for all of those of us who pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, there were moments where your decisions were limited because you had to make decisions that were financially motivated. Right. 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 You, got, sure. you got mortgages to be paid, kids to send to school, bills that have to be paid. So to me, um, and, and, you know, I've had, I've, as our company has scaled, um, you know, I'm in a different, I'm in a different uh, uh, economic strata than I used to be. Sure. And so, what it means to me is just having the freedom to do what I want to do. And so I made the tough decision and I wouldn't recommend this for every entrepreneur. Um, I made the tough decision to bootstrap my company in order to protect equity. And I had a lot of folks who were willing, you know, to throw cash at me to take an equity piece. And there are lots of times, you know, where my wife and I had to put money into the company in order to, you know, to make payroll or, it was to, probably or tempting to pay for a, a project. Yeah, it absolutely was. But now I'm glad that we've done it. And it, and it is not to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to make an exit, right? I don't ever have a plan to sell Edelin Renewables. I will part with our projects for sure. sure. Um, but I want to build a lasting company that, uh, that, that can drive social and economic impact in communities that need it for as long as I can ride this innovation wave. And that's my focus. But for me, wealth means freedom. And people who, you don't have to be rich to be free, but you got to have more than you spend and you got to right. have something a little, you know, the confidence that comes with knowing that, that I don't have to do a deal. I don't want to, I mean, the, 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 you know, Nathan Crowder, who's my COO, who does a phenomenal job, couldn't run it without him. 
you know, we were on a call a couple of weeks ago with a guy who was a real ass, right? And, 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 James, <laughs> and you're like, no. No. And halfway through the call, I said, listen, I'm really sorry that we've wasted your time. This isn't this, this, our, our values and interests don't align. Thank yeah. you very much. And for that time. felt great, I'm sure. And it felt great. Yeah. Now, could I, could I have afforded to do that a couple of years ago? Absolutely not. But to be in the space where you can do important work, where you can meet your obligation to your family, and that really is the most important, I think. Uh, and then you can um, have the freedom to, to make decisions that are in the best long-term interest of your company and, your, and the folks who work with you. That's, that's the sweet spot. And I've worked really hard to get there. My hope is I can stay there. Well, I think you will. And it's, it reminds me, I'm writing an article right now. It's, this is a phenomenon I've kind of noticed when talking to podcast guests like you, Adam, and, and talking to my clients. I think there's been this um, false dichotomy in, in, in my growing up anyways, that kind of said like, hey, here are your two options. You, you go work hard, hustle, work really long hours, like sacrifice your family life. Or you just live a mediocre life and you're- You thinking. sell out or starve, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I really reject that. I oh. think that's a really bad uh, set of choices for, for somebody to be faced with. And what I, one thing I've noticed, and this has been a really kind of counterintuitive thing, when people actually sacrifice their careers a lot of times or, or sacrifice that early money, maybe similar to what you were describing and turning down some of that, that capital from outside sources and really bootstrapping things yourselves- the financial success follows the family success. I like to think so, right? I, Maybe I think, not always. No, I think but... you're right. I really do like to think that. And listen, I've made, I have made mistakes in my personal life. I've made mistakes in my professional life. But the thing about it, James, is my successes and my, in my victories and my defeats, they're all mine. Mm-hmm. They're all mine. I own them all. Right. And there's a liberation that comes with that. And I, you know, the, the, you're exactly right. You know, my kids are 15 year old high school freshman now. And it, it feels like it happened overnight. You've seen me check my phone a couple of times. It's because Hamilton uh, broke his foot at lacrosse oh, no. practice this morning, you know, today. Oh, no. So, but, but you're exactly right. You can't get that back. But I, the, the one thing I feel for people who aren't in many ways passionately consumed by what they do, mm-hmm. you know, I totally subscribe to the theory. I've studied this wide from Marcus Aurelius to, you know, other philosophers I think Theodore Roosevelt got it right. I think the meaning of life is working hard at work worth doing. Yeah. And you want to be able to throw yourself into this. It's the reason why you left a big firm to do, to be an entrepreneur, man. And that's what the greats do. And so whether you're a solar developer, you work in the financial space, or you're a school teacher, or you're a farmer, you are afforded an opportunity to innovate. I don't think people ever really I think at the end of life, my, my gamble is that you, you focus, you focus less on the gambles that you took and more on the ones that you don't, right, di- right. don't take. Right. And I don't, I don't want to live a life of regret. No, I agree. And I, I think when I think about why, why am I doing this? Right. Because it's a whole heck of a lot easier oh, not yeah, I mean, to. I mean, you had a secretary a and you had a you know, support staff yeah, and exactly. you could focus in an expense account. And now your expense account comes out of your account. Exactly. And, right. And so I'm with you, man. But you know what though? It's, it makes you really think about where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my dollars? And it goes back to what you said about being able to choose your partners mm-hmm. and be able to turn somebody down. I can do that. And sometimes yeah, that's absolutely. turning down a client. Oh, for sometimes sure. Sometimes that's saying, Hey, I don't think we really align. I'm not sure I'm the right person to help you. Right. Maybe it's not a knock on them. It no, might not just at be, all. Uh, but not, you know. ev- not everybody goes with everybody. Exactly. And, and I think it's key. Um, yeah, I think that's great. So to me, wealth is freedom. One more. Looking back, you've done you've done so many cool things um, in, in a lot of the areas that people, I think, stay away from because they're, they're really difficult. Politics being one mm. and entrepreneurship being another one. If you could go back and tell a, a very young, fresh-faced, out-of-school Adam Edelin, give him some advice on on uh, business, money, investing, things like that. What what would what would you tell yourself? My advice to me as a very young man would have been, you know, uh, have a few less beers and put a little more towards an IRA. Um, I have been fortunate. <laughs> I've been listen. I've been fortunate here in midlife, you know, to be able to catch back up. But you know, looking back, you know, the genius of the capitalist system is that if you're invested in it, you ride the wave and you will benefit from it. Yep. The failure of capitalism is that if you're not invested in it, you absolutely get left behind. And I wish that I had had the discipline as a younger man to fully fund my IRA, you know, to put to put money away, to feed, you know, to feed uh, a, a stock portfolio. 
I wish I had had the discipline to do that. And, you know, you look back and, and you know, what was a thousand bucks over a year when I was a kid, you know, when I was out of college, I could afford to do it. Right. But I wanted to spend it at cheap side. And, right. right. And I wanted right. to, you know, wanted to, you know, to, 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 you know, spend it in the, for parking lots at UK football games. Right. right? And yeah. it, it was that, that's the thing that, you know, they say youth is lost on the young, right? And, yes. And like, I, I really it's do. True. It is true. But I really do wish. I mean, if you if you put it, it, all a young person has to do, you put together a few thousand dollars a year and have the discipline to do it over and over and over again. You will retire a millionaire, regardless yeah. of the other decisions you make in life. I was on Ticker News the other day, yeah. and they asked me, you know, because I do serve a younger clientele mm-hmm. than, than many advisors, um, and I'm a younger advisor than, than yeah. many advisors. They asked me, what you know, what is one piece of advice you would give to younger people? And I said, I can say, I can give it to you in four words: invest early, invest often. That's right. Because if you do those two things, it's you, you have to screw a lot up um, to not come out ahead. No, that's by exactly doing that right. because time is such such a valuable, the most valuable commodity. We all have. And, and in investing, when you look at the power of compounding returns, I mean, it's magic. It's it truly is, magical. It's, it's an, it's, and it's an irresistible market force. The other, the other piece of advice I would have given myself is invest in sectors and not specific companies. Yeah. And so have a guy like you who picks out uh, individual stocks, uh, I, I, that would have been better served by that approach. You know, I put money in real estate. It was, it's been a disaster. I mean, some of it's been a disaster. Right. I, mean, I think I've come out slightly ahead over you know, third, you know, 25 years, but, um, it would have been be- much better to pump into the American economy. Sure. So, you know, people are pre- pay attention to the news, you know, guys like you who work for clients love to read an article sent to you by a client, right? Oh, and, absolutely. and let's talk about sectors, but absolutely sectors are more, I, I will tell people to invite and, and to invest seriously in the solar space, but don't invest in any specific company. Invest well, I look at it this way, Adam, I, I kind of consider innovation one giant industry. That's yeah, absolutely. And then I look at kind of subsectors. So, you know, robotics, artificial intelligence, digital banking, green energy. And then, of course, you can break some of those. And all down the even things further. that you mentioned, but brother, listen to me. Of all the things you mentioned, you're right. Innovation is its own sector, but its color for the foreseeable future is green. I agree. I, I can't argue that with you. I cannot argue that with you. I mean, even the robotics labs, right? I mean, the, these guys aren't. Oh, gonna, absolutely. They're not going to power themselves with with energy that's dirty. You know, we Kentucky could be a real center of these data set, the data ser, uh, for, farms. You yeah. Know, people yeah. think that the think that the cloud is this ethereal place. No, the cloud <laughs> right. is a great big warehouse. Yeah, Google it. Air conditioned to, fi- to 55 degrees that yeah. employ a bunch of people who make 100 grand a year or more serving servers that stack three or four stories. Sure. That's the, that is the cloud. Those things aren't going to burn dirty energy. Right. Just not. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So, well, very good. I, man, I really appreciate it. This has been, first off, a really interesting bourbon. It's interesting. Um, it's got a lot of character. I'll mm-hmm. say that about it. And and it's really been a cool conversation. I love I love innovation. I so love James, we got to stay in touch, and you yeah. got to have me back. Yeah, I will, and I'll also uh, I'll send you that article. And um, I'm just excited. I'm a, I get I'm exci- I'm an excitable boy, Adam. Yeah, well, when you I should talk about these things. I just get jazzed up. Listen, man. I would just tell this to your folks: if they can't, and again, I get that we're living in a pandemic world, and that you know we feel hopelessly divided politically. There has never been a better time in the history of the planet to innovate and to look at things differently than the moment we're living in right now. And if that doesn't put a smile on your face, you need to try something else. I'm with you and I agree. And again, thanks for coming on. I look forward to chatting with you more soon and staying in touch. And I appreciate you and what you're doing. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam Edlin. Look, it's going to take innovation and cooperation to continue to make a better world. I love talking to people like Adam uh, who can teach me more about areas I'm interested in and help me make better investment decisions for my clients. If you're liking the show so far, don't forget to subscribe and please feel free to reach out to me with any questions, content suggestions, or feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we're going to keep the streak of great guests going over the next couple months. So make sure you continue tuning in. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.